Hi, this is Hendeleva, executive producer of Momentum, a Race Forward podcast. Our team is proud to present Momentum Live at Facing Race, a national virtual conference with Siobhan and Hibba. Enjoy the episode. I'm Hiba Elias. And I'm Siobhan Drew. And, and welcome, welcome to Momentum. Momentum. A Race Forward podcast, where we explore how racial justice work is showing up everywhere around us. Welcome, everyone, to Momentum, a Race Forward podcast. Drop us some love in the chat if you're here with us. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So I want to start off by saying that this is not a usual podcast episode for Siobhan and I. We usually have moments where we're stopping, picking up again, stopping, picking up again. And in this episode specifically, it's happening in real time. And the plus side to this is that you all will be in on our conversation live, being able to interact with us in the comments. If you have any questions, feel free to drop them in there. We have a special guest for y'all today. We have a few special guests for y'all today. And I'm going to pass it to you, Siobhan. What are you feeling? What's going on? Welcome. Welcome to Facing Race, the first day. Thank you. Yay. I'm so excited. Um, I was looking on Twitter earlier and I saw everybody sharing when they're checking in. And it just gave me a really good feeling because I know we've all been through a lot this year. I just feel like... I know that we're still in a moment, right? But gathering here at Facing Race virtually, it was just a huge undertaking. I'm excited that we were able to do it and to have everyone with us. And we're getting through day one of all breakout sessions. I hope that you guys enjoyed the opening plenary, the music from DJ Femi. Yeah, just just super excited to be here with y'all. So I know that we're going to be almost doing the podcast almost backwards from the way that people are used to hearing it when they're streaming it themselves. Now, should we introduce our first guest or do you want to chat a little bit about what's been going on in the news like we usually would? I want to banter a little bit. There's a lot to talk about, but I definitely want us to banter a little bit before we bring in our guests. Mm -hmm. So a lot has been going on. We're in the midst of confirming the president. We know who the president-elect is. But, you know, there's a lot of drama happening from our current president, Donald Trump. But I just really want to highlight the major wins that have taken place so far in terms of this presidential election. You know, it's been a long time coming. You know, I was actually anxious for the Facing Race Conference because, you know, we host the conference post-election time. So I was really curious as to what the energy would be in the room, given the results of the elections. And even though there are still a few states still counting the votes, we know where we're at, right? We know what the future may look like. But I really just want to shout out Black women (laughs) in this moment of time right now. Because I genuinely feel like if it wasn't for the Black women that have moved the needle in voting, right, we would still be struggling in these streets, as I would want to call it. Um, Stacey Abrams, the founder of the Fair Fight Action Organization, who has been grinding from the moment that she was running in Georgia to get everyone in the state of Georgia registered to vote. Majority of the Black population came out voted and flipped the state blue. So shout out Stacey Abrams, shout outs to Tamika Atkins from the Pro Georgia Organization, shout outs to Deborah Scott from Georgia Stand Up, 
major, major, major love and much gratitude to y'all because if it wasn't for you guys and everyone that's online right now who did go out to the voting polls, who did send in their ballots to make this change, it was because of us. So shout out to everybody that's on here. Yes. And on the uh, on the follow-up for that, um, I was thrilled to see how many people of color really joined together. To your point about Stacey Abrams and all of that organizing, all of the other organizers as well in the South that did such heavy lifting where they didn't wait. It's like organizing is always happening in the South. I mean, I think perhaps that narrative doesn't get as much attention as it should, but it probably will be getting some more now. I can't wait. But I just want to tip my hat to organizers on the ground, to people who knock doors, to people who did voter registration. It's really, it's not a game. Like, voter suppression is real. I want to shout out to Native Americans. They voted in amazing numbers. They were flipping states and districts, and they just, I was blown away. They helped swing some crucial states in this election. And I feel like the multiracial democratic society that we're always talking about at Race Forward, I feel like I was seeing what that could look like. And I just, I was so excited, you know? I saw Latina organizers definitely were taking up the reins in a lot of states. And I remember that our producer, Hendel, right? So he's on the comms team with me. And I remember that we went to Arizona. This was a few years ago. Uh, we went to Arizona and we sat down with some of the young Latinx organizers out there. And they were facing a lot of voter suppression, a lot of like, really just like deportation, just a lot of violence and harm against them, but they never stopped organizing. And I was watching them on social too. They're celebrating, you know, some of the wins of all of this long-term organizing. When we visited them, we did a video series called Resistance Maricopa. So if you look up that hashtag, Resistance Maricopa, M-A-R-I-C-O-P-A, you'll see the videos that our producer, our video producer, Ty Rose, created. And you can get a shout, shout out to Ty. Yes, please, please look shout up. Shout out to Ty. Ty. She's our lead video producer and she worked with Hendel. They put in so much work to interview the organizers and have a record of our trip there and the work that they were doing that they said is a long game. They said it then and here we are years later. You can see how thrilled I am like to see that their work has come to fruition. So I just want to say that all the multiracial groups really have me feeling on a high right now. I appreciate everyone. I think also Asian American groups out, I want to say out in Cali, like various factions were organizing out there too, to kind of like consolidate their votes together and build some power. And do I look amazed? Because I'm amazed. <laughs> you definitely are amazed and as you should be, because this is a major win for all of us. I think I know, for instance, the people in my community, Siobhan, I'm not going to lie, like there were a lot of people that were very discouraged to go out and vote. They felt like their votes did not matter. And this was, in my opinion, being that I'm 28 years old, this is my third time voting. I think this is their first time that they realized that their vote actually mattered. And it actually made a difference because what we wanted has happened and it, it, it's come into fruition. You know, there's a lot of conversation <laughs> about people across the nation that still voted for Trump and the damage from the national surge from the past, I feel like this is a moment in time now where this is the work that we need to engage in, right? We've been engaging in, in it before, but this is our priority now, right? To undo all of the damage that has been done mm -hmm. as a collective front. So I'm excited to continuously be working with everyone that's on the grounds. I know Facing Race is a national organization, but we have many organizers and partners that are on the grounds literally day in and day out. So very ecstatic to be continuing this work. 
and partnering with folks on the ground uh, to be pushing this work and pushing the needle forward on social justice movement and racial justice movement. So um, can I say more? Yeah, collective win. Yeah, go. Please. Yeah. Please, please do. You look really good. Yes, amazing. please. I love this. I look Stop. like I just don't guess from me. the bus stop and I'm going my way to school. Don't guess me. We both look good. To make y'all excited. <laughs> but now Hibba's like, hello, my name is Sophisticated Hibba and I'm here to do a podcast. Join us. <laughs> this is a regular for everyone that's tuned in. Siobhan is constantly hyping me up. Um, love this girl. Love you, Siobhan. But please do share more. Okay. What other things that I'm really excited about. So Oklahoma elected the country's first Muslim non-binary state legislator. And I was like throwing my, as you can see, hats like, oh my God, I'm so excited. I think, let me see if I can quote. This campaign, this movement that we built really hinged on visibility. That's a quote from 27-year-old Maurice Turner. Congratulations to Maurice Turner. Also, legislate the rainbow. Mondaire Jones and Richie Torres become the first Black LGBTQ plus Congress members. Oh my gosh, y'all. Like, Major. if this isn't a multiracial Major. democracy, what is? All right. I think that. Major. I think probably Glenn is somewhere celebrating because all of the things are happening. Glenn is actually going to be joining us in this session. So I definitely want to move us through yes. um, into our next guest who is now in the room with us. I want to read his bio, a very, very special guest. So when he joins us, please give it up for him in the chat, y'all. Uh, Mark Morial is an American political and civic leader and the current president of the National Urban League. Shout out to the Urban League. I was once an Urban Leaguer. Always loved to the Urban League. Morial served as a mayor of New Orleans from 1994 to 2002, president of the United States Conference of Mayors in 2001, and Louisiana State Senator from 1991 to 1994. Over the last 15 years, Mark has expanded the reach of the NUL services by empowering their affiliate movement and creating a framework to create policies that serve communities of color. Mark has played a major role in shedding a light on the needs of Black America during the COVID-19 crisis. From partnering up with universal brands like the National Basketball Association to advocating for a balanced recovery on Capitol Hill, Mark is helping to lead and drive change for families who need it the most. He has since been recognized as one of the most influential Black Americans by Ebony Magazine, as well as one of the top 50 nonprofit executives by the Nonprofit Times. I now welcome you, Mr. Mark Moriel. Please join us, Mr. Moriel. Welcome to Momentum. What's up? Good to see everybody on the chat. Uh, be with you all today. You know, we just had some technical challenges and technical issues. What do you want? The light on, light off? I don't know what's better. You look amazing. You look like you have all the technology in there. Yeah, you know, the trick is you got to get them to work. Sometimes, okay. you know, you got all the gadgets and all the buttons and they still don't work. But hey, it's great to be well, with I you. and. Uh, just an honor to be with you all. And I'm glad we got this technology to work. And, you know, I've been uh, working from home for many, many months. I'm so, so uh, relieved. The burden's been lifted with this election. But I'm so proud of all the people around the nation who really, really stepped up and made their voices heard in an unprecedented way. It's uh, truly, truly powerful. And it was powerful to see all of the, I call it self-propelled action meaning people who were out there at the grassroots level doing their own thing, not necessarily connected with a party or a candidate or an organization. And it just demonstrates that when we show up, we can make a difference. 
And we have to carry that energy and continue that energy to bring about the kind of changes we want, not just at the national level, but uh, in local communities and state legislatures all across the nation. So it was an important time. And, you know, we were looking at some turnout information in Detroit, in Milwaukee, Atlanta, and Philadelphia, just those four cities alone, there were a quarter of a million more people who voted in 20 and voted in 2016 in those four communities alone. Now, that's a powerful statement, a quarter of a million people. That's uh, the size of Newark or Jersey City, New Jersey. It's a lot of people who decided to step up this time. And I, I'm just proud of all the grassroots. And I'm proud of the uh, the new gen, next gen, young folk. You know, I'm a new gen, next gen, forever young person. <laughs> uh, but I'm proud of the way in which people really stepped up. And I just want people to realize the work is not over. The work is starting. And we have to maintain vigilance and activism and energy going forward. Yes. Thank you so much for that. Let's get right into, since, you know, we want to be conscious of time. Let's talk to you about some of the work you've been doing, the lawsuit that you filed. Okay, so the executive orders that Trump has, one of them is the executive order on combating race and sex stereotyping, which bans all racial equity work in the federal government, including use of government contracts, grants, funds for racial equity work. And it punishes federal employees who do that kind of work. So tell us about that, Lawson. You know, when I saw that executive order from the White House, all I could think is that this executive order reads, smells, thinks like a white supremacy manifesto. Let's call it what it is. I got contacted by Sherilyn Eiffel, very talented and dynamic civil rights lawyer who leads the NAAC Legal Defense Fund, to ask us if we would work with them on litigation against the administration. And I immediately said yes, because central to so much of the work we do here is diversity, equity, and inclusion, training, advocacy, and the like. And since we hold federal contracts to train people and to help people become home buyers, that executive order applies to us. And we're not going to be shut down. You know, I'm confident that President-elect Biden on January 20th will repeal this executive order. But we took a stand. And the notion it reminds me of the lost cause movement of the 1870s and 1880s, that somehow you're gonna shut down the truth. You're gonna muzzle people's ability to tell their story from their perspective. You're gonna to try to whitewash once again, the tremendous contributions of black people and others to this nation. And you're gonna do it in an, in an official document. No president, no president in modern times has affixed his name to such a heinous, hateful, old-fashioned, outmoded document. And so we were compelled by responsibility to mission to file suit against it, to shut it down. And of course, now the suit is pending. We just filed it a few weeks ago. Uh, we will be asking the, the new president to repeal it on day one and put this chapter. I mean, President-elect Biden's going to have a pile of executive orders to sign to repeal Muslim bans and just, just uh, you know, these executive orders poisoned with hatred, poisoned with division, but they expressed the policy and the thinking of the Trump administration, and I call it Trumpism. And we have to be on guard and aware of that Trump is one person. Trumpism is a philosophy. It's a governing philosophy that we must push back on. Trumpism isn't dead. Presidency of Donald Trump is over in two months. 
Trumpism is still alive and well. And we have to fight it because it's this toxic mix of hatred and racism wrapped in nationalism and wrapped in these sort of deceptive slogans like make America great, right? a deceptive slogan. So people who may not hold, they hear, oh yeah, who doesn't want to make, who doesn't want to say their country's great? Okay. We filed that lawsuit. We also sued the Census Bureau to stop them from ending the count early. We managed to extend the count by 15 days through an injunction and filed a lawsuit against the Postal Service to uh, challenge the actions they were taking, make it more difficult for people to vote by mail. So we were very active in the last mm-hmm. 90 days because when an issue came up, I told my team, we're going to act. The good news is we have great great public interest law firms, civil rights law firms, like the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, like the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, who could provide the kind of counsel and competent assistance that we need. Yeah. We are grateful for the work that you are doing and also your responsiveness, the way that you also, you said, you talked about Sherlyn Eiffel, just getting together with orgs that can double the power against these executive orders. The orders also, they're, they're a form of censorship, banning the use and the study of things like intersectionality. They had a whole list of banned words, unconscious bias. The whole executive order wasn't worth the paper it was written on. Hell it was no, it wasn't. a manifesto of white mm-hmm. supremacy. We have to call it for what it is. And Sherilyn Eiffel and Kristen Clark, two brilliant black women, two brilliant civil rights lawyers. And I like them because they're smart and they know how to fight. They understand how to fight. We are going to be busy because we have upcoming, the census, I'm concerned, included an undercount. The, the administration mismanaged the census particularly at the end, when they should have allowed it to continue to the end of October, they sought to shut it down. They've tried to alter the way in which the census numbers are compiled. They've politically interfered with the actions of the census. And we're going to have some work to do when we see the data, whether it is the kind of data that embodied a full count. And this comes into play for reapportionment, uh, which will begin in states in 21 and 22. So, you know, we've got a tremendous amount of work to do. And you're right. That executive order, you all are great historians. I know the Lost Cause movement was a movement by white Southerners in the 1870s, 1880s, and 1890s. It was the Lost Cause movement of which the movie The Birth of a Nation was part of. It was a lost movement that erected all these monuments and statues to Confederate generals because it was an effort by white Southerners who had lost the Civil War over slavery to change the narrative to suggest that, quote, our cause was just. It Mm -hmm. wasn't about slavery. It was about state sovereignty. It was about our rights as people that were being infringed on by Northern aggression. And so it was a very, you know, a, a movement that had a great deal of success. If you read, I'm from the South, I'm from New Orleans. If you read History books mm-hmm. that were used in many Southern classrooms in the 1900s, in the early 1900s and the mid-1900s, it said that the South's cause was a just cause against Northern aggression. And we know it was a cause that was unjust to protect slavery. This executive order fits in to this kind of effort. We're going to censor people. We're going to push back. We're not going to allow people to discuss race. We're not going to allow them to accurately describe the history of the nation. 
You can't uh, tell the truth, basically, right, Mark? You're not allowed yeah, to tell the truth. Censorship, it's, it reminds me of uh, what happens in totalitarian regimes like North Korea. I want to jump in and, and get your take briefly on some of the other partnerships that you did, that the National Urban League did this past summer, including the NBA. Can you talk really briefly about some of those? The National Basketball Association and its players really, really decided to give strong voice to the issues of racial justice. And we've enjoyed a relationship with the NBA for years. Several of the players like Chris Paul and a number of others have been uh, friends and associates over the years. They're stepping up and they uh, reached out to us and wanted to partner with us on thought leadership. They wanted to partner with us around issues of racial justice. I'm really, really proud of the way in which professional players. And while the public saw the NBA players and there were many NFL players, there were also NHL hockey players who were interested in voicing issues of racial justice. So uh, the players, it's positive and we wanted to support. And in the case of the NBA and, and to some extent, most recently the NFL, the leadership in the NBA at the commissioner level, uh, Adam Silver and Deputy Commissioner Mark Tatum have been uh, uh, strong supporters along with other members of the staff like mm -hmm. Kathy Barron's. They've been strong supporters of uh, aligning the brand, if you will, of the National Basketball Association with civil rights and racial justice organizations and issues. So we work with them on a number of thought leadership activations. It was truly, truly great. And it want them to continue their work. Many of these players uh, in today's world, professional athletes have platforms. They have social media followers. And because of that, they have influence. And to see them use their influence for just causes is something I strongly support. Lastly, to leave us off, can you tell us briefly about the Truth Be Told campaign, the hashtag Truth Be Told? Where can that campaign and that work take us moving forward? Basically, yeah, mm -hmm, the Trump administration took action to prohibit workplace training sessions. So this is all related, a petition, basically. Oh, yeah. So I think this was part of the response to the executive, mm -hmm. right? I think so. And I think part of it was bringing the pub building public will mm -hmm. against the executive order, right? And we need to continue to bring public will against the executive order, even though we're in a good position right now, if you will, a great position to have the executive order repealed by the, by the president-elect when he becomes president. But we have to continue to push back because they're trying to intimidate private companies, government agencies, and federal agencies from doing things like celebrating Black History Month, oh, things like diversity and equity training, things like awareness about intersectionality. intersectionality. They're trying to shut all that down. We have to really say we're not going to allow it and we're going to push back. And so the lawsuit is one way and we're going to keep pursuing the lawsuit until executive orders repeal. Awesome. Thank you so much. So, folks, if you want to go to AAP, as in Paul, F as in Frank.org, AAPF.org slash truth be told, that's the campaign that we're all going to collectively get involved in. You can sign the petition. There's more info there. Get involved. And right now, we want to thank you, Mark. We want to thank you so much. That's right, Mark. I just want to give my much gratitude for you to join us today. I've heard everything. I've received it. I'm taking it in. And I hope the audience that joined us today also took this in. Again, 
I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, let's yes. do it again. Bye. We are excited to bring on another special guest. I know we talked about the executive orders and the lawsuits against them. I'd like to welcome president of Race Forward, Glenn Harris, into the conversation. Yes, Glenn Harris is the president of Race Forward and the publisher of Color Lines. A lot of you know Color Lines well. You visit colorlines.com every day for the daily news that they provide. It's news, it's analysis. They also handle arts and culture. Race Forward uh, publishes Color Lines and Glenn is our publisher. So excited to be on the podcast. Let me just say, share that. Let's say okay. President-elect <laughs> Biden and Vice President-elect Harris can move a progressive agenda that speaks to the deepest values of Americans. And the question is, how am I feeling in this moment? Cautiously optimistic. You know, we find ourselves in a moment, right, where we had this very significant win. We actually are in a moment where we have uh, had a referendum, if you will, on issues of race, equity, and justice, and we won. But the truth is, we've got a lot of work to do. And so in that way, I think, you know, how I'm feeling about the moment is really leaning into what does it mean for us to hold the Biden-Harris administration accountable? And I think it was a mistake we made when Obama came into office that we did not hold the administration to accountable for the things that it had committed to. And the pieces I'm excited about is that we have an incoming administration talking about systemic racism. The pieces that I'm really excited about is that we have a movement right now that has created this moment, led by black and brown folks, and especially black women, that really gives us the possibility of holding this administration accountable and actually getting to those kinds of substantive wins. And if we're being honest, substantive kind of transformative moments that we need as a country. What do you want to say about how alarming it is, given your background working with the city of Seattle mm-hmm. um, and the response, which includes our new banned words campaign that was just released? First of all, if you want to give people an intro or some details around what um, the banned words campaign, that would be great. And then yep. if you want to get into the question, by all means, please do. Absolutely. So the BAM words campaign is really just taking the words that the Trump administration through the executive order have said they banned in within federal employees in training and education. And those words include racial equity, systemic racism, intersectionality. There's a host of them, about six. And I would encourage folks to go to our hashtag banned words campaign, check it out on our website. And what we're really saying is that now is the moment to be really clear that we need to lift those words up, name them, and share with folks how we've used them to create change, why they matter. And to your initial question, this act is nothing short of a welling, right? I mean, literally, it's banning specific words and It's actually, you know, to get real, it's a a frontal assault on freedom of speech. And it's doing that while under the guise, under the nerve to actually say this is about making sure that we're treating people fair. It is crazy. It's gaslighting at its worst. And if we're being honest, it's authoritarianism. And in that way, what we've seen in Seattle is that the Department of Justice, the Trump administration has brought the full apparatus of the state to actually go after the city of Seattle for for conducting racial equity trainings. 
And I, you know, I, I believe we should all be outraged and stunned. And I know it's hard because there's so much to be outraged and stunned. But why this matters is because, in fact, the response is it works. We're winning. When we talk about race and justice, we win. And so the response is fundamentally about trying to shut those conversations down. And at its core, it's fundamentally an American. And, you know, had shared this, you all might have touched on it earlier, but in the month of June, from our research, within the print media, the term systemic racism was used in the month of June this year, more so than in the last 30 years combined. And that is about us hitting a tipping point for us to be able to have a conversation to address the core issues of how systemic racism is playing out in our country. And if we're being honest about it, it's really about our opportunity to finally get it right. We can't change it if we can't name it. And so in that way, um, I hope folks will join us in the Banned Words campaign, share with folks why it's so essential that we're able to actually name the realities that um, we all face as a country. That was definitely a lot of information and very important information. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Glenn, for sharing that. So I'd like to get into what Race Forward has called on the incoming administration to do in the first 100 days. I just want to name a few, and then I'll ask you the question. So the first on the list is aligned with racial justice movement by reversing Trump's executive order and calling on them to issue an executive order that explicitly puts racial justice at the center of the work Per this statement we issued last month. Another one is addressing the impact of COVID-19 on BIPOC communities because this was one of the, you know, I can't even put into words how big and major and saddening that reality was for us during this time and during this year. Mm -hmm. Another is ensuring housing by halting evictions and foreclosures and providing economic relief. The last one that I really want to get into is announce a plan that extends a pathway to citizenship and ending policies of family separations. Where do you think the most headway can be made? And what is Race Forward's commitment to help push this work forward? Such an important question, Eva, it really is. Um, where I would start is just by acknowledging this is what we're asking for in the first 100 days. And there's a lot of folks making for this call. It really at its core is about two things. It's about pushing back on some of the worst kind of executive order actions that the administration has taken, right? And we recognize in the first 100 days, much of that can be undone literally by the Biden administration and just creating new executive orders. And then the second piece is just getting real about the devastating impacts of COVID, both in terms of health, you know, we're pushing up one in 1,000 Black folks have died from COVID, right? It is truly horrifying. There's a way in which been way too normalized. And so getting immediate response to that and relatedly the impacts of on the economy, right? And the millions of folks that we know are currently in eviction or facing eviction. And so thinking that way, those sort of immediate actions, they're critical just to the health and well-being of folks in the pushing back where the piece I want to be clear about is we're not just asking the Biden administration to undo the executive order that's banning words like systemic racism and racial equity. We're actually calling on them to eliminate that order and create a new order that calls for not only the use of that language, but a commitment within federal government to actually use that to define how we make policy and assign resources. That we get real about making a real commitment, not just to the language, but to the operations of that, right, in, within government. 
And then, oh my goodness, you all know this. We have a long list of work that we need to see happen. We need to make sure we have health care for all. We need to get real about a, a real economic plan that creates genuine opportunity for, especially within our black and brown communities. We got to get real about how we're thinking about the environment. That's another EO that could probably done that would pull us back into the Paris Accord. But the truth of the matter is that is just, again, just scratching the surface. And then, you know, for me, I think it's, it's an opportunity for us to get real about some of the core issues that are confronting our communities, which is, can we get real about what we're gonna do around abolition and talking about mass incarceration and mass criminalization of our communities? And can we get real, for me, about reparations? We are way past the point of having a conversation, right? That is just simply about truth and reconciliation. We need to get real about how we build real economic power within communities of color, because if we do, we will be without a doubt a successful country. And that's the, the piece in this argument that I feel like now is the time, I guess this is it, for us to think big, for us to actually get real. And, and I, even as I say that, you know, always for me, it hurts me because the truth of the matter is that reparations was on the table for a hundred years ago, yeah. right? And we're acting like it's something new or something big to be asking. And so I think in this moment, and let me also name in this way, we need to expand the very idea of reparations into talking about indigenous land rights. And so for me, I see this first hundred days, this is just about trying to minimize some of the damage that we've seen in the immediate to make sure that we are not pulling children away from their parents and putting them in cages. and at the same time, getting really real about what is it that we need to be looking for and demanding in, over the course of the next four years. Sir Min, <laughs> I, I hope that everybody that's in the chat with us sticks with us so we can continue this fight as a collective front with Race Forward leading us in many of these fights. Thank you, Glenn. Siobhan, do you have any last questions you want to ask, Glenn? I feel like I've been taking up most of the time. Let me just say, you know, I talked about this in the opening for Facing Race. Siobhan Hibba, thank you. As two Black women who've been leading our Momentum podcast, I mean, y'all pushed us into the Apple Top 50, and that is because of your passion, your brilliance, and the thing I always appreciate, your humor and joy. <laughs> That's made that possible. And we're so appreciative of being able to work with you. I have one last question now that you, you're okay. on this, Glenn. Thank okay. you. Thank you for those words. You're a two-time guest now on the podcast. <laughs> you know, how has momentum helped race forward in this particular moment between um, season one and two? or even in just season two, which is just predominantly this year, how has momentum helped Race Forward push the needle on racial justice movement and our work in general? It's been huge. First off, it's been one of the leading ways that we've been able to get our voice out for Race Forward. But to be clear, when we say get our voice out at Race Forward, and this is the beauty of momentum, we mean the racial justice movement, mm -hmm. right? And so in that way, um, it's, I think, it helped to elevate a whole bunch of voices that we know in this moment have been critical. And it's helped to model what we know we need to do to win, which is how do we be in solidarity, not just with individual organizers, but with other organizations? How do we lift up the voices that we know are essential 
in this moment. And I think in that way, the momentum has been absolutely in value. I also think that in that way, and I, I mean this, I, I meant what I said. I think your voice, Siobhan and Hema, have been essential at not only getting the information out, but reminding folks that the work we do is about power, but it's about love. It's about joy. It's about finding space in our everyday lives to be able to have the conversations that matter. And then what you always bring to it, putting on top, this is the action we can do. And we need more of that. We just need, we fundamentally, we all need more. And if for folks who are joining us, if you have not been a regular follower of Momentum, please join us from week to week and from month to month. We have been getting some of the most powerful voices in the movement on and always looking for and welcome feedback about the kinds of uh, conversations, topics, et cetera, that we should be leaning we have to say goodbye to Glenn, sadly. But I know I will see you all again soon. And I have to tell you both, um, seeing you right now, it is so sad to me that I haven't been able to see you both in person for like nine months. All right, I miss now. Y'all. And you don't got a lot. I miss y'all. I really do. Really? And please invite me back. You know what you should do is you should invite me back and have me interview the two of you. Oh that would be interesting. <laughs> I'm not following for that. I'm actually interested to know what Glenn would ask us, though. Uh-uh. <laughs> Let's talk on the teams and see if we can make that work, Glenn. Let's see what, what, what can happen for season three. Right on. Uh, right on. Thank you so right, much, Glenn. Appreciate okay. it. See you soon. All Bye-bye. right. Siobhan, we are live. I want to thank everyone for hanging in there with us. Really appreciate you and encouraging us the entire way through in the chat. Beautiful. This is the the point in the podcast where we're literally just loving up on each other, shouting out all the things that's happening internally at Race Forward, all the work that's usually being done. But you guys are in the space with us. So you are now seeing what we've been working on for the last couple of months. We just launched the Band Words campaign. And I just want to send you all much, much love for joining us. We just hit 100 ratings and reviews for the podcast. So I want to extend my gratitude again. Can't thank y'all enough because if it's not for y'all listening in and tuning in and riding with us, we wouldn't be where we are today. And you've heard Glenn and you've heard how far the Momentum Podcast has taken the work of Race Forward and vice versa, right? So much gratitude. Siobhan, how you feeling? We're live. I'm just excited. Like we're live. I feel really happy. I'm so thankful for everyone's help as we never, ever stop finding ways to keep the show going for you guys. So thanks for everyone who's jumping in to figure out how to make it work. I want to say that the link I dropped in the chat, which is raceforward.org slash media. If you head over there, the top thing on that list on that page is momentum. You can listen to our episodes, subscribe from there. We have color lines underneath that. We have mass freedom. We have race and videos, which if you've seen, we have an actual web series that goes with it where you can join trainings and webinars to learn more about intersectionality. Also the resistance Maricopa videos that I mentioned earlier that Hendel and Ty, our lead video producer, worked on together. Amazing work. Please visit raceforward.org slash media and check it out. And thank you again. I love how much you're glowing, Hiva. This is well, this is sweat because I'm nervous. Oh, this is sweat, baby. This is sweat. But I, I really want to get into just the um, other other items that people can tap into. 
please. This is us on a regular, y'all. So now you guys are tuning into the real podcast behind the scenes. So welcome. I can't stop saying thank you enough. So that is the ending of our session. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Bye. To end the episode, here's a bonus unedited Q&A with Siobhan and Hiba. Once again, thank you for joining us at Facing Race, a national virtual conference. If you want to ask questions, why don't you drop some in the chat in the meantime, and let's use this time. I'm going to check out what else happened. Um, California restored 50,000 citizens who had been convicted of felonies. So it was Proposition 17. Um, and it was a ballot measure approved by state voters on November 3rd. It's going to re-enfranchise people with felony convictions or on parole. So that is pretty wild. Like a lot of things have happened. I feel like we couldn't even address them all on this podcast. But like, how are y'all feeling about all of this? So, someone in the chat, Angelica, is saying yay for Prop 17. Let's see. Onab says hello from NYC. What's up? Keep the curve flat. I hope everyone's doing well and feeling well out there. Angelica is saying 50K people will be able to vote now in California. Oh my God, that's amazing. Mm, what are some other highlights from this election from everyone's local areas? Drop it in the chat. Relieved that we beat back fascism, Susan says. <sighs> is relief the word or what, Susan? Like seriously, this is not how I looked a couple weeks ago. You want me, let me show you how I probably felt a couple of weeks ago. Stay right there. This is how I felt a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Just running on empty. Okay. Sorry, I try everything to get my little New York pizza rat in. Also, I made him pizza for Halloween, by the way. None of this is related to the podcast, but I did make a pizza rat for Halloween decoration. You have to Google that if you're not from New York and you'll know what the pizza rat is about. <laughs> Hopefully I still keep my job after showing you my pizza wrap. But um, Oregon, Oregon has decriminalized all drugs. Wow. Guys, I wish I had something to like light up or something. I don't. That's probably not an appropriate thing to say on the podcast at this very moment. I'm alert and I'm in tune with y'all. I'm just kidding. So let's see what else is going on in the chat. Treatment for people with PTSD in Oregon, Ariana says. And she typed a word that I can't pronounce, but I'm guessing, is that like the mushroom type of treatment? It's like a psychedelic treatment for people with really intense PTSD that helps them to, I want to say, almost forget memories that are too traumatizing to continue on with. Microdosing mushrooms, it sounds like. Yes, says Joy in the chat. Thank you, Joy. And thank you, Ariana. That is also exciting. We will take questions from everybody that is in, uh, you know, tuning in with us right now. Feel free to drop some questions in the chat. Ty, we see you. Shout outs to Ty, our video producer. Abe, okay. shout outs to you. Heba, question in the room. What's it like to be a podcaster in this moment where so many people are remote now and so much is happening in the streets now, so much is happening in the country? What is it like to have a podcasting platform to express yourself? I feel like it's the most ideal time to have a podcast. I'm going to be honest. It's the most ideal time to have a podcast, but I, because I feel like this year alone has forced us to sit still. I know for the most part, everyone who, everyone who is a podcast listener is mostly in commute, right? They usually tune into their podcast of interest when they're in commute, whether they're at their desks, you know, but right now I feel like in this moment, 
the year has forced us to sit still and given us enough time to tune into content that we didn't have time to time for before. Damn, so, drag me. Do you know I'm listening to therapy podcasts? Listen, yeah. I, I've been in tune. It's definitely given me a moment. I know I can speak for myself, but obviously, you know, other folks can relate as well. Yeah, it's giving people more time to do what they actually want to do, right? Like most of the time I catch myself like, I'm gonna pin this conversation to listen to later when I have the actual time to do so. But it's also, I feel like becoming a podcaster, this is our second season. I feel like in the first season, there were a lot of mo learning moments for us. And I feel like in the second season, we're learning even more and we are perfecting our craft. Also shout out to Hendel, who is our producer <laughs> of the Momentum podcast. We've done so much work and so much learning. And if you're hearing the jingle jangle, those are Hiba's bracelets from Sudan that I always love. And then she brought me back some because that's how much I love them. <laughs> I didn't wear mine today, but it's like our, you know, Wonder Woman bracelets. So I always love to hear it because it means that Hiba is in podcasting mode and ready to go. Checking the chat, there are more questions like what are some of the sessions that folks were excited about, whether you've been to it already or whether you are excited about it for today or tomorrow or the next day. So people want to pop up in the chat and Hiba, you want to tell me if there's another session that you're excited to attend for yourself? If I could, th so there's about 15 sessions happening per day. If I could attend all of them, I would. Mm -hmm. And I want folks to know that these sessions were literally hand selected by our content committee. So major shout outs to our content committee who have been in the paint literally looking at all of these submissions. We got over 200 submissions of breakout sessions and we've selected a good amount of upward of 30 sessions to be broadcasted um, at Facing Race. If I could attend all of them, I definitely would. I'm really excited about our main stage plenaries. So if you guys have a moment, there, weren't, there aren't gonna be any breakout sessions during that time, but the mainstay sessions are definitely something to tune into. But our breakout sessions, all of the content that has been selected reflect the, the work that is being done internally at Race Forward. So all of the tracks that you see within the breakout session booth are a reflection of the actual work that we do internally at Race Forward that all of the staff at Race Forward grind on day to day. So you guys will be stepping into our world for all three days of the conference. And I hope that you truly do take in most of the content and most of the discussions that are being held because they're very monumental and you'll learn a lot from them and you'll be able to take it back to the community. And that's the goal for Facing Race is to make sure that we're spreading the word to others that, who, that can't join us. We're at 4,000 people who registered for the conference. So that's a major win. Our goal is to make sure that all of the content is spread nationwide and hopefully worldwide and is being put to use. Yes. Okay, I'm reading the chat. LaShawn says, this is extremely therapeutic. Thank you. Oh, I love that. We love you. Cecilia says, it's live and it's lively. Beautiful. Yeah. Ananda says, that was awesome. Thank you so much.